You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you that climate change wasn't real? Those wildfires, those rising temperatures, <laughs> you know, those melting ice caps. Yeah, those are a figment of your imagination. I'm just kidding. That would be a lie. Now, what if I told you there once lived an enslaved black woman who was freed, educated, and became a spy for the Union Army and played a part in infiltrating the Confederacy in the midst of the Civil War, providing valuable information for the Union Army? And her partner in crime was her former slave master. Well, that, that would be the truth. This is the story of Mary Bowser. Welcome to the Redacted History Podcast. So, first off, happy Women's History Month. I took a two-week hiatus from releasing any new podcast content because I wanted to produce an episode that did Women's History Month justice. I wanted to produce an episode that told the story of a woman who has not only been forgotten throughout history, but someone who inspired me as well, and I hope she inspires you too. Now, most of those two weeks were spent reading and researching because Mary Bowser was, for lack of better wording, a ghost. Not just in the afterlife, but while she was amongst the living as well. Seldom were the lives of enslaved folk documented. And Mary was also a woman, so had it not been for the first-hand accounts and the extensive work of historians, we would never know what little we do about this amazing woman and her story. I also thought it was important because when we talk about the Civil War, when we talk about the 1800s, who do, we, who do we talk about? We talk about Jefferson Davis, loser, Robert E. Lee, super loser. We talk about Abraham Lincoln and how he was put on a T-shirt watching Disney on Ice. We talk about Andrew Jackson and all of these white men, but we never talk about the heroes of the Civil War that were people of color. More importantly, the heroes of the Civil War who were women. We talk about Harriet Tubman, and yes, she led the Underground Railroad, but we don't talk about how she was also a spy, how she was also a nurse. So that's why I wanted to talk about Mary Bowser today. This episode is part one of a two-part series because there is a lot to go over. So, sorry, I know we all want, you know, everything at once in this age of consumption and the internet. But don't be mad at me, give me some grace. Now, there aren't many pictures of Mary. A lot of the pictures on Google or historical websites that claim to be Mary actually aren't her at all. So for this story, I want you to close your eyes and imagine a darker-skinned black girl with big, curly black hair. Now, like I said, little information was recorded on Mary's life in her earliest years, and she basically fell off the face of the earth after the Civil War. However, comma, the documented period between 1839 and 1865 is a cinematic movie experience, and I'm going to do my best to give it to you. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. 
Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to support the Redacted History Podcast and what I do here, you can support me on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash blackout, B-O-A-C-K-K-O-U-T, and you'll get information on merch drops. You get to vote on what I do here on the podcast as well as what I do on TikTok, and you'll get access to live streams and much more. So you can find that linked below in the bio. And now let's get back to the show. Mary Bowser was born Mary Jane Richards in May of 1839 in Richmond, Virginia. The Bowser name comes later, so just bear with me. Richmond was a very interesting place at this time, mid-1800s. It wasn't too far south where folks considered slavery to be at its harshest. Think Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, even a lot of parts of Georgia. And it was about 250 miles away from Philadelphia, the nation's most popular free city a city that had abolished slavery in 1780 and had a thriving free black population. And due to its proximity to the North, the Richmond economy reflected Northern economy. So you'd see less plantation work and more in-house labor, hardware, blacksmiths, etc. But don't think slavery was any less harsh than what we like to refer to as house slaves, right? Mary was born to who we'll call Minerva and Lewis. Not much is known about her parents, especially when and where they were born. She was born into what many would call a unique situation. You see, her mother and father did not live together. They were both enslaved, but by different masters. Mary's mother, Minerva, was owned by the Van Lu family, a rich family whose deceased patriarch was the former mayor of Philadelphia from 1796 to 1798, and he moved the family to the Richmond area in 1906. Mary's mother was enslaved directly by Eliza Baker Van Lu and John Van Lu, who owned a thriving hardware business. They resided in the house, the mansion, with their children Elizabeth, who they would sometimes refer to as Bet, and young John Van Lu, and over a half a dozen enslaved black people, two of which were Mary and her mother. Now, where was Mary's father, you may ask? He was also in Richmond working as a blacksmith under the enslavement of a man by the name of Mahan. Mary and her mother were permitted by the Van Loos to spend Sundays with Lewis, who had his own cabin. Once Mary was old enough to work, she was put to work in the big house alongside her mother, cleaning and waiting hand and foot on the Van Loos. Mary was a very inquisitive young girl. Her mother taught her from a young age, as early as four, that she must always be aware of her surroundings. If you're doing a chore around the house, serving the white folk at a dinner party or anything of the sort, keep your ears and your eyes open like a spy, because you never know when you would hear some information that would be useful to you down the line. When Mary was around five or six, it was discovered by her owners and her mother that she had an eidetic or photographic memory, and this would be something she would use to her advantage many a time. However, when they found out about Mary's memory, they thought it meant she could read, which she could, but she could never admit that because of, as you probably know, it was illegal in slave states for black folk to be literate. So, Mistress Van Lu made Mary promise to never tell of her gift or she would be taken to Richmond's whipping post to be punished for the entire town to see. But, in secret, Elizabeth Van Lu, the daughter, would teach Mary how to read in the coming years. 
The Van Loo's had a very interesting family dynamic. Mistress Van Loo was a very stuck-up socialite from the North who wanted the finer things in life and very much so enjoyed the uh, employment of her workers, as she called them. John was the typical firstborn son who was eager to take over the family business when it was his turn. And Elizabeth was the rebellious radical. Born around 1819, she was sent to Philadelphia in her youth to study at a Quaker school. You see, Quakers were amongst the first denomination in the United States to fiercely detest slavery and form abolitionist groups, groups that spread out throughout the North. And as you can imagine, Elizabeth, growing up in the North, went to the North and realized that slavery was whack. And she brought those sentiments back down south with her. When she came back to Richmond, she would become an outspoken member of the family on behalf of abolition. The family dynamic began to turn its gears when in the fall of 1844, old Master Van Loo killed over and kicked the bucket and went down to, I mean, up to heaven. Some years later, it was Christmas 1850, and Elizabeth Van Loo invited Mary's father, Louis, to Christmas dinner, which was odd. That night, the table had been set, the food was prepared, and the enslaved stood around the table, ready to serve their masters. The instructions that they got prior to dinner were that 11 plates were to be set at the big table. When the Van Loo's arrived for dinner, Elizabeth asked that all eight enslaved folk joined her, her mother, and her brother for dinner. Now... There were eight enslaved people in the house, so the math was mathing. Mary, her mother, her father, and the other five enslaved took the seats at the table they would never dare even begin to think about sitting at under normal circumstances. Forks nervously scraped plates for the next 10 minutes until Elizabeth Van Loo speaks up. She said, This year, I celebrate Christmas in my own right, for my mother has consented to sell me her slaves so that I may set them free. The black folk at the table stared at her with their mouths agape, full of food. Free? They were, they were really free? That easy? Well, yeah. After Master Van Loo died, he left his children inheritances. And with her money, Elizabeth chose to buy her mother's slaves and free them. And the plan was kind of easy. Elizabeth would draw up freedom papers for her enslaved people. They would remain employed to her for several months so as to earn enough money to support themselves when they moved to a free state. Mary and her family were elated, but as usual, when things seem like they are too good to be true, they probably are. You see, Mary and her mother had their freedom, but her father did not. Elizabeth said she approached his master and he refused to sell because good blacksmiths are hard to come by. And they could only stick around as free folk, but for so long, because Virginia law said that enslaved black people had a year to leave the state or risk being arrested and sold right back into slavery. Many times when you were sold back into slavery, you were split up from your family. One of the many, many inhumane laws put into place to further dehumanize black people. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. 
and about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today and join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode where I'd like to tell you a story. So Mary and her family had a choice to make. She and her mother could take their freedom, head north, knowing they'd never see her father again. Didn't feel like a great idea. How about head north and ask him to come with them, knowing he'd be hunted like a dog until he was captured and forcibly taken back to Virginia, and they would probably be taken too. And this is where his master would either cripple him or kill him. Yeah, no. However, Mary's mother came up with a different plan. She enlisted the financial support of the eager-to-help Elizabeth Van Loo, who was taking this whole abolitionist thing super seriously. Mary's parents were less concerned about their freedom and more concerned with how Mary could lead a safe and worthwhile life. So it was arranged for Mary to be sent to a school for girls in Philadelphia. She would have boarding and a monthly allowance from Elizabeth. Mary's mother would stay behind with her father and have her freedom papers redrawn every month or so until the day came that her father was freed. And who knew when or if that would ever happen. But hey, love makes you do stuff. So, in 1851, at the age of 11, Mary hugged her mother and was put on a train to Philadelphia. Mary spent her entire adolescence and some young adult years in Philadelphia. She was there from 1851 to 1859. She went to school where she excelled and became best friends with the local undertaker's daughter. She met an entire network of free Philadelphia black folk. It was her time in Philadelphia that would shape Mary's views on freedom and slavery forever. And see that freedom wasn't all it really cracked up to be. Because in the eyes of the white person, there was a good chance you still meant nothing to them, whether they were abolitionists or not. And that illustrates what life must have been like for free black folk for the next 100 years. Yeah, I'm free, but I can't eat where I want, sit where I want, look at who I want, or use the bathroom where I want. I'm free, but at what cost? Throughout her time in Philadelphia, she built a closer relationship with Elizabeth Van Loo, her former master. Elizabeth seemed to really be all aboard the abolitionist train and wanted what was best for Mary and to continue to oppose the institution of slavery in the South. Elizabeth even took more of her inheritance and helped free more black people in Richmond, Virginia. As a teenager, Mary joined the Philadelphia Anti-Slavery Society. It was an interracial organization of mostly healthy white women who had group discussions, fundraisers for the abolitionist cause. Um, that was it. Mary quickly learned that the society and groups like this existed just for people to say, oh, yeah, I was in that. You know, I'm down for the cause. Super similar to someone today plopping Black Lives Matter brown fist emoji in their bio and calling it a day. But Mary wanted more. She wanted to be instrumental in the abolishment of slavery, but she wasn't quite sure how. White people felt like as long as they were able to do things to give themselves moral victories, then their job was done. And this confused Mary greatly. And furthermore, it kind of scared her because as long as we had this pitter-patter, this really slow progression, Mary might be dead before any real change was ever made. But there were events that helped light a fuse for Mary to break free and really take action. The first event being her mother dying when she was around 16 years old. You see, the last time that Mary had ever seen her mother was right before she got on the train in 1851 to head from Richmond, Virginia to Philadelphia. Mary's mother got her freedom and never got to taste it. She chose to stay behind in the hopes that her husband would get his. But a fever 
took her before that. Mary couldn't help but feel guilty and more determined than ever to free her father, whose master still refused to sell. What was her father thinking? How alone did he feel in the moment? You see, Mary had been communicating with her father over the years, but it was only through Elizabeth Van Lu. They would write letters back and forth and Elizabeth would, you know, read the letters to her father and then write down whatever her father wanted to say back to Mary because he was illiterate. He hadn't seen his daughter in 10 years and his wife of over 20 years was gone. And Mary was more determined than ever to at least get back to him. Next, Mary became a member of the Underground Railroad. Remember when I said that she became best friends with the Undertaker's daughter? Well, he was one of many pawns in the North, both black and white. Escaped black slaves would stow away in coffins and be driven to freedom from the South to Philadelphia by other abolitionists who were usually white because who would question a white man on the road? It was meaningful to Mary to help enslaved black folk experience the same breath of freedom, the same jubilation, the same realization that she got to experience for the last decade. It was through her Underground Railroad work that she met an enslaved black girl who we don't know her name. Uh, she helped her escape from Richmond, Virginia to New York. The girl was actually being sexually abused by her master and wound up killing him with a brick to the head and was on the run. This was both eye-opening and a full-circle moment for Mary, who was helping a girl her age escape from the same place that once bound her in chains. And lastly, Mary was completely radicalized by the events that took place at Harper's Ferry in 1859. This was where John Brown, a white abolitionist, led a failed slave rebellion in Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. This event rocked the nation completely and was a major catalyst tipping point towards the Civil War. A slave rebellion sparked true fear. What if all of the blacks rose up and sought revenge? Mary was mostly inspired and convicted by the death of a man named Dangerfield Newby, a black man who assisted John Brown because, you see, Dangerfield's wife and his children they were still held in slavery while he was free. He needed a $1,000, so say her master, to buy his wife and his children's freedom. He brought $700 to the master and said, hey, this is all I got. It takes years for a slave to earn even $100. The master looked at him and said, that's not a 1000 So the price is going to go up to 1500 So Dangerfield assisted John Brown. However, unfortunately, Dangerfield was killed during the Harper's Ferry Rebellion and his body was left in the street for a whole day while it was mutilated by angry white people and feasted on by animals. And then after that, it was thrown with other bodies into an unmarked grave. News of this spread like wildfire. John Brown was eventually found guilty and was hanged on December 2nd, 1859, the first person executed for treason in the history of the United States. Although his rebellion was a failure, it was the sign that abolitionists nationwide needed. Shame that it took a white man rising up for people to truly give a damn, but such is life, I suppose. Mary saw the dissent and infighting taking over the nation. We have the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. We have slave rebellions. We have black massacres, bleeding Kansas, and the violent civil confrontations in the Kansas Territory. And also the absolutely terrible string of U.S. presidents we'd see in the middle of the 19th century. All the way from Andrew Jackson in the 1820s, all the way up to 1859, where we had James Buchanan, who said, hey, I'm the president, I'm going 
to do absolutely nothing. The country was almost at its breaking point. It was basically a twig at this point. And Mary knew that when that fracture finally happened, she couldn't just sit idly by. She wanted to be a part of the fight to free her people and her father or die trying. So she devised a plan to risk her life and her freedom and go back to Richmond, Virginia. There was nothing left for her in Philadelphia. You see, there were riots that spread all throughout because of the Harper's Ferry Rebellion. And through that riot, Mary's house and her belongings actually burned down. And this made it easier for her to leave. And perhaps she should have never left Virginia in the first place. Maybe she would have got to spend more time with her mother. Maybe all three of them could have got their freedom eventually. Who knows? Mary was painfully aware that her going back to Richmond could mean recapture or death. But she needed to see her father. And she needed to speak to Elizabeth Van Loo. This was part one of the story of Mary Bowser, an enslaved black woman turned spy for the Union Army during the Civil War. Next time, we'll get into part two, where we see Mary's travel back to Richmond, Virginia, despite the very real fact that if she's caught, she could be thrown back into slavery or killed. And we'll see how her and Elizabeth Van Loo team up to help take the Confederacy down. Until next time, peace. If you like that episode, consider leaving the show a like and a review. Every review helps. Don't. Don't you don't you touch anything below five stars. I'll see y'all next time. Hi, I'm Mike Troy, host of the American Revolution podcast on the Airwave Media Network. This podcast is the origin story of the United States, how we went from colonies ruled by a king to the democratic republic that we have today. The American Revolution podcast tells the story of the revolution from beginning to end. Please subscribe for free. We're available on all major podcast platforms. I hope you will join me today on the American Revolution podcast.